Lord Jesus, we come to you, Lord, with your beautiful example of humility. Lord, we come to lay ourselves down before your throne, before a safe and peaceful place. We ask for your refuge. Lord, we ask for your healing. We ask for your strength this morning, God. As we come in, some of us are tattered. Many uh, are ill and at home. Lord, uh, we just ask for your infusion of your energy, what we talked about last week, your power to transform and to regenerate. And as God, we just ask that we can come to you and come close to you and, and have that radiance that that psalm was talking about. Lord, when we come into your presence, there's a, a radiance that we inherit. And so, Jesus, we seek your face, we seek your light, we seek uh, your promises, we seek your truth. As we come to um, submit to the Word, Lord, I pray that we would see it as life, even though at times it, it shapes us with difficulty or challenge or conviction. Lord, that we would um, honor you in the way that we not only receive the Word, but we live the Word with our neighbors and our city. Lord, we thank You for our city. We love our city, God. We love our neighbors. Help us to do that more powerfully. But first, Lord, we must be developed in the community that we are. As we gather here in Your name, as we seek Your power, Holy Spirit, we ask that You would continue to move over and in and through us. We ask that we would just pause for a moment in uh, because of the myriad of voices and thought patterns that we have that, uh, Lord, would distract us. So we ask, Lord, that you would focus us into these sacred moments, these times of filling and, and feeding our spiritual appetites. We love you, God. We thank you for your word. And most of all, we thank you for your son that died for us. And for some, that may be new. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to them and clarify what it is that has been done at the cross for all of us as sinners who fall short of your glory. That, God, the redemption story is beautiful and hopeful, and it never disappoints. So, God, I ask that we would just peel off a sliver of that rich story and heritage we have as children of God today. We love you so very much, God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, if you made it here this morning, uh, that's pretty amazing, I've got to be honest with you. You're not one of the crazy people who run through all weather patterns on Willamette. You could be, but uh, those people are actually at the Shamrock Run. Uh, you're uh, maybe not a missional home community leader. We have about a dozen of them uh, at the beach retreating and getting filled up. Uh, you may or may not be a student. Actually, I'm impressed. I see a few students here. That's amazing. Uh, students were not technically required to come this week. No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, we have all the seats reserved for the people that are going to come from an hour from now. Um, so uh, you made it through all of those things. It's really great. Uh, we just want to welcome you here. Uh, my name is Sean, and uh, I'm going to be the barista this morning. Uh, will you raise your hand if you've worked for a coffee place uh, or any kind of coffee place. Will you raise your hand if you've worked in coffee at all? Okay, that's uh, probably about 15% of the room at least. Um, will you raise your hand if you've worked for uh, 
the wine industry because you are my most coveted friends. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was just thinking this week about the things that we, uh, we consume and the things of this city, the things that really rile us up, the things that get us going. Um, we're a drink city, that's for sure. We love microbrews. I couldn't bring a keg in here this morning in a good conscience. I feel like some people could stumble on that. But um, I did decide to bring my coffee maker from home. And uh, right now it's crushing the beans. Some of you probably have these at home, so you know it's crushing the beans. I heated it up a little bit earlier. I took fresh beans and I put it up into uh, the area that grinds it up here on the left. And then I took spring water and I put that in here. And um, so there's a nice fresh espresso. If you really like uh, coffee, then you will drink it like this in an espresso because you, you like it in its most concentrated form. Um, who would like this? Who likes it without sugar? Who? All right, Kate Beeman was first to go. Okay, this is what I'd like to present to Kate. Kate, enjoy this morning. Um, somebody right now, very pragmatic, linear thinkers are going, this is a waste of time. This guy's going to keep making coffee for people. Well, you know what? <laughs> I get to. I want to. I can do that. Um, while this second one's going, uh, I can smell it up there. I'm now wanting one for myself, but you can't keep the good stuff for yourself, right? You've got to give it to your neighbors. You've got to give it away. And uh, one day, uh, me and a pastor, a friend of mine, he's the pastor at Imago Day across town. We've been good friends for about eight years. And, and um, earlier, actually about last summer, him and I hopped in a car and uh, we decided to go out, to, uh, out towards Newburgh and Dundee and hit those, uh, the vineyards out there. And so as we get out there, uh, I'm not a wine guy. I know nothing about wine at this point. So we go into the first vineyard uh, place, and, and we go into their office and, or uh, their little clubhouses, and I don't even talk right about them. They're not offices. They're gorgeous, like big homes and <laughs> resort-type things. So you walk in there, and it's, you're already just like, th- there's something so great about this culture of um, of making wine and so I get into this first place and it's this girl at the counter and and she's my friend says uh you know what kind of wines you have and blah 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 and we're looking and he's looking at years and he's using all this terminology I don't know and then finally he looks at her and he goes um you know could we do a a barrel sample and uh she goes (laughs) and then he goes And I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's kind of funny. If I was on cue, I'd be like, <laughs> like, I don't get it, but I'm going to laugh with you. And then we went to the next place, and we're there, and we're talking about their vineyard, and we're talking about where they sell their stuff, and it's another girl at the counter, and they're at the, it's not a counter, and it's not an office, but it's just a big lodge and home, right? And uh, so they're sitting there, and they go, uh, and he says it again, he goes, hey, how about a barrel sample? And she goes, <laughs> And he goes, <laughs> and now I got it. So I'm like, <laughs> barrel sample. We all, you know. So we go to the next place, right? And so we're driving. It's beautiful out. We're going out towards the coast. And, 
And we're having a good time, and we got the barrel sample line, and I'm just like, yeah, we got the barrel sample line. Everybody likes it. And, uh, you know, and uh, so I'm like, I wonder if we're going to taste some wine or something like that. You know, since we go to all these places, we should probably have some wine. And uh, so we go to this, this next place, and I, uh, we're sitting there, and um, there's a guy this time, and he's sitting right outside. I mean, it's just one of those postcard days where you're like, hey, I live in Oregon. This is awesome. And uh, you send that to all your friends, right? Because it's the one time a year the weather's just picturesque, and you're like, okay, yeah, this is awesome. And so we go, and this guy's, he's just in this postcard moment. I kind of walk over to him, and I go, hey, man, I go, are you guys open today? And and uh, he's like, yeah, 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 we are. And he stands up, and he meets us, and, and we just start talking small talk. And, and uh, I decide to lay the line on him. I'm like, hey, how about a, how about a barrel sample? And uh, he's like, he's not laughing. He's like, he's not going, <laughs> barrel sample, and we're all barrel sampling. Um, but he looks right at me, and he goes, Yes. Yes, let's do some barrel samples. Come on back here. And I felt like it was the Willy Wonka factory. The guy opens up the door and we go back in and there's all these barrels everywhere. And there's classic cars and his wife's a chef. There's this ridiculous kitchen back here. This huge table that belongs in my house. And I'm, we're there and we're having a good time. And he's got cheese and bread and he starts popping corks. And then he goes over to the barrels, and starts describing the barrels. I had no idea the science, right? The pH balances of all of this. Some of the barrels are put up on the roof so they get a certain exposure to the, to the light and all of these things. And he's doing one of these. He's pulling out, and he's like, yeah, this was made four years ago, blah, blah, blah. And then we had a big old glass, and he's like, Pfft. and I'm like, and my buddy's got this whole, you know, moving the glass, looking at the legs. He's they're talking about the fullness, all these other things that I don't know. So I'm just like two-handed, three-year-old. <laughs> this is grape juice, by the way. But, uh, but we're looking, and here's what's happening. He's taking us through the process. And he's taking us through this amazing process, and there's a taste, and even a goofball like me, and I even told him, I go, hey man, I know nothing about this. I know nothing about wine. I almost felt like, you know, you brought me back to the Willy Wonka factory, but I didn't have a golden ticket. Like, you got me back here, and he's presenting this wine, and he's going through it, and I'm talking about an hour and 20 minutes into it. We're at the back of his place, and he goes, but this is, this is the collection. This is the reserve that of all reserves, of everything we've made, of everything I sold, everything in Southern California to come and move here and do this vineyard for the first three years of losing my hide, this is, this is it right here. I'm like, okay. Um, okay. And he goes, takes that scientific like, and he puts it in the glass, and you're just like, what? And he goes, this stuff here is reserved for my son. My 13-year-old son has uh, worked two lanes of the vineyard, and this is what he's produced. And, uh, and, and this actually turned out to be the best that we've ever made, and he's 13. And he's just talking about his child, and you can see all of this pride. And then he says, 
we, we sent this down. It's called Red Racer Wine because the kid wanted to call it Red Racer. It's not really sophisticated, is it, for their best stuff. And he allows his son to name it. And now all the NASCAR guys love it. So they, he, they got to go down to one of the NASCAR races and hang in a couple different pit crews because they love Red Racer wine. Why am I telling you that? And I'm going to pass out one more thing of coffee here. Who wants it? Nobody wants it? Okay. Mama's always won my heart. Here's the deal. Today is a simple reminder. The Scripture today is such a simple reminder, and we're going to go through it, and we're going to lay it out, and we're going to talk about it. And I pray that it will be fragrant and tasty for you. It was fun giving these, pieces, these, these espressos out, and just holding it out, and giving that away. And that guy that day of just of holding out and saying, this is my best. Here's what I have for you. It's a very simple picture of what God has done for us. He has said, this is my best, and this is for my children. That is what He has done. He's given us a Savior. And and we're at a point in this chapter in Philippians where we see that He started the chapter off by saying, This is about humility of living in this way of life, this process that becomes fragrant. As as last week and the week before, we talked about the process that's happening in us. It's called sanctification, where God takes something that from you know the dirt, right, red dirt, Adam, where He takes from the the humus, the humility, takes from the earth, human. And He takes us and He brings us through a process of refining us and renewing us and making us the fragrant offering to the world. We're to be better than wine to our city that loves wine and microbrews. We're to be more tasty and more sought after than a great espresso. God is doing a work in us and He is asking us to be a part of that privilege Will you turn your Bibles to Philippians 2? And we see that he began the chapter talking about humility because Paul knew his people, and he knew his people actually were beginning to be a little bit frazzled and disunified. And so he pulled out, obviously, the big guns. And made the example of humility, Jesus. And we read that Jesus was humbled. He was humbled so much that He humbled Himself to the point of death. Not just any death, but death on a cross. So that's the backdrop. And then as we begin to deliver, and we see what it means to be delivered, we see that God has delivered the Gospel to us. And throughout the Scripture in Philippians, we've been seeing that it's a way of life. It is, it is that we receive Christ our Savior, the Deliverer. But as the delivered, we live a life worthy of what was delivered to us, the value. Our citizenship is not of Portland, right? It's of a kingdom 
that God has for us. And so here's, here's what he says. As, uh, as Becky read, we see in verse 14, if you look at verse 14 of chapter 2 of Philippians, he says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Well, that's the main subject today, is uh, complaining. So welcome, I bet more of you want espresso now. Uh, certainly the wine. Uh, a culture of complaint is what he is seeing and what he's talking about to them. And he's saying, he's, he's also speaking, and we'll speak a little bit about this. It's very hard as a pastor to speak about this part. But when you look at the people, it's actually the Philippian church that he's speaking to. He's saying, stop your complaining, stop your moaning, stop your strife. He's saying, stop it. And he's also saying it in the context is, in the context of the way that others are viewing you, that you're viewing each other, this is breaking down. These murmurs are hurting everybody when you're complaining about everything. But he, he almost names it at the end. He says, he kind of gives it away, stop complaining about leadership. Stop complaining about those that are leading you. Stop complaining about those that are five minutes ahead of you. They are not perfect. They are not sinless. They are your leaders, though. And at the end of the Scripture uh, that we're looking at today, the third verse, he talks about, so that I could be stoked in you, so that I could be excited that, that we've lived together, that we've partnered in the Gospel, that you've partnered with Jesus, that you've partnered with each other. He is saying, so that at the end, I can go, this was a good investment. And that may sound selfish, but as a leader, I want to be honest with you, sometimes we look and we go, who is the investment? Who is coming back fragrant? Who is bringing fruit from these seeds that we plant in, in the body's life? Who is coming back and who is not only producing, but who is also giving it away? Who is loving the culture? Who is loving their neighbor? Who is... Who, has fallen in love with the family of God. And he's asking them some tough questions. He's saying, you've become a house of murmuring. Why do we complain? We're unsatisfied. I think God, throughout the Scripture, says, why are you complaining when you have everything? How could we possibly be complaining when we have everything in Christ Jesus? What is there to complain about if the fullness of life, if the fullness of the gospel has come to you? Well, let's look at this. We have a history as God's people of complaining. Let's go to Exodus. Let's pick on the Israelites a little bit. Grumbling, complaining, strife has always been there. It's always been it's always happened. In Exodus 15:22, we'll just kind of skim through here. Verse 22 says, "Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, "What shall we drink?" 
Go down to verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there was 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Long story short, God led them to water, but they were grumbling and complaining, going, what kind of leader is this? Who are you, Moses? There's no water here. Hello? We're annoyed with you. We're just a little thirsty. And then God, you know, he throws, he uses this tree, and basically the people get their thirst quenched, and they encamp by the water. There's plenty now. So you think, oh, they learned that God provides. That when it's God's leader, and that leader leads you to the satisfaction that's found in God, you would have thought they'd learned the lesson until one chapter later. When you see in in 16, so their thirst was quenched, now they're hungry. In chapter 16, verse 2, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're going, you good-for-nothing, low-down, gravy-sucking pig of a leader, you've taken us and we'd rather be in Egypt. We'd rather be in captivity and eat the way we were eating. We got used to a certain diet. Can you not hear us? We like circumstances a certain way. Hello? (laughs) We'd rather be in captivity. We'd rather be where God led us from. We'd rather go backwards than follow you because we're hungry. And when we're hungry, we get a little cranky. My metabolism gets off. You know, my sugar levels. That's what they're saying to them. They're like, oi. Then verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, and I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. I'll just skip To the end of the chapter, if you look at verse 35, it says, the people of Israel ate the manna, which is like uh, like coriander, honey-tasting little bagels that God put out there every day for them. Hey, Israelites, here's bagels in the morning for you. For 40 years, till they came to a habitable land. Hmm. Complaining is a part of our culture. We call it customer service. <laughs> I brought a couple quotes here about complaining. It says, I had no shoes and complained until I met a man who had no feet. You can complain because roses have thorns or you can rejoice because thorns have roses. Some people seem to go through life standing at the complaint counter. Now, ten years later, the person who talked and complained is still talking and complaining and still remains in the same position. The person who took the initiative and found solutions has been promoted several times. Any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, 
and most fools do. It's been happening, but he's saying, stop complaining. So, I think we're all guilty right now. We've all complained in some way, shape, or form. We've all uh, done some grumbling. So there's, there's houses of murmur. And this is what he's talking about. He's like, overall he's saying, you know your house, there's murmuring, there's complaining. You know it. When you talk at that certain time about those certain people and you're complaining about leaders and the way that they do things or you're complaining about Sunday gathering and the, the weird black sheets and what was the coffee about and we're complaining and we're annoyed and we're hungry and we're thirsty and we can do that for years and years. And some of us have even traveled with God and we're complaining to the point where He's not only brought us uh, something to drink, but something to eat, but shelter. He's brought people into our lives. And most of all, He's brought Jesus Christ into our life. But we find this a way of life. And it's okay culturally because we're Monday morning quarterbacks. The next day we can say, here's how that football player should have played and blah, blah, blah. And here's how that politician should have done that. And here's how Tiger should have done a proper apology. You know, and I need a proper apology in this way. And, and here's what these people do. And I love reality TV shows because, you know, I can complain about these people and I can laugh because it's off and so it's just fun to watch them c complain and I like complaining and, you know, and, and I go to home community and I complain about the other group that I was a part of and, and you guys want me to leave now so I'm going to be a part of the next one and complain or there's this culture of complaining I don't like the way you do this. I don't like the way this is. I don't like the way that is. There's radio shows. Sorry if you're ultra conservative. I'm just going to go right down the middle here. But I got to say, Rush Limbaugh, when I listen to the guy, he's complaining for hours. And people get on there and then they complain too. It's a culture of complaining. Okay, I can hit the liberals too. Liberals like to protest everything. So they're protesting. Their murmurs aren't murmurs. Theirs are protests. We live in a city of protests. It's angry complaining. So from the Israelites to us in our day of complaining and believing, I have opinion, therefore I must share it. That's our motto. I have opinion, but you don't want to know. Do you really want to know? Okay, well, let's go get coffee and I'll tell you my opinion. I mean, I can't wait to tell my opinion. And there's going to be some murmuring and some complaining in it. I'm just going to wedge it in there kind of cleverly, okay? Christians a lot of times will call that prayer. I really want to, I want to pray for that person. You know, they did boom, boom, boom. I'm telling you right now, I wanted to use an example last night, and I'm looking and I'm like, what's a really good example of complaining? And I, would have, I just would have been complaining myself. Oh, yeah, I need a sermon illustration. I'm going to complain about the complainers. It's just a vicious circle. Are you getting my point here? It brings you down. So what he's saying is there's a house of murmurs. Do you want to stop complaining? If you want to stop complaining, write this down. One, crush the house of murmurs. Crush it. Stop it. When it starts to happen, call a timeout. Sit down and start to pray for God's power in your life. Ask yourself, do I love people? 
Do I really love my brothers and sisters? God's got an interesting notion here when he says that we are a family, that there are brothers and sisters. I think we've spent years in our biological families, our families of origin, and we have much to complain about. We've been affected in very negative ways. And I think we bring that into the the household of God. And God goes, hey, time out. You may have been arguing and complaining and murmuring and having strife and contention at your house. Don't bring that here. And when the leaders say, don't bring that here, then the leaders are the number one target. Exhaustively, we're asking you not to complain is what he's saying to the Philippians. He's seeing the strife. And this whole thing has been about unity and humility and harmony and peace. How could we ever be light if we have a house of murmurs? How could we be a house of light? Here's what you need to know. You can't be a murmuring, grumbling complainer and think lighten up the world for Christ. The two don't coexist. Yeah, they technically do because we're constantly being sanctified. But the point is, is don't remain in the house of murmurs and think that you're shining brightly with purity. He uses this word, pure. You know what the word comes down to when you look in the Greek context? When he says, hey, you're to be pure and innocent. You know what he's talking about? He's saying, and then, Uh, with two verses later when he talks about what you're holding out. He says this, hold out. Get over the house of murmurs. Instead, hold out to your guest. This is what he uses. Pure, as in pure wine. Nothing diluted. The best stuff. And he talks about having a firm hand. Firmly hold out the light, the word of life, the gospel Firmly hold out, right there, not wavering, the pure stuff. But if you're over here mixing it up and chopping it up and talking and complaining and allowing that to consume you and to to decay your heart, because complaining is like a bad itch that ends up just spreading all over. Well, it started here. Somehow it got on my face. But the complaining spreads And he's saying, no, we operate from peace. Christians that operate with anxiety, it's unhealthy. He's saying, be at peace and being in God's family and bring the best stuff firmly. This is what people want to see. This is what people want to be a part of. Why should we stop complaining for yourself. For, he says here, you are to be blameless. You know what that word comes out to? It means no handles. It means when people are thinking of you, you're above reproach. He's saying, stop complaining so that those handles can, can retract in. Like a suitcase that has a retracting handle, let the handle go in. Stop complaining and bringing things outside of peace. Let, 
be handleless is what they're talking about. Why should you stop complaining? Because you want to be handleless. Because the more handles you have, the more things people will grab about your character and run you around. And then you'll experience the foolishness of complaining. The other is he's saying, stop complaining for your leaders. Your leaders are striving and working and praying for you and encouraging you. Stop being Monday morning quarterbacks critiquing their every move. He's saying, be a prize to them. Do you bring joy to those who are leading you, whether it's missional home community leaders or a, a worship uh, band that you're on? Do those leaders have handles? Do they see you as full of handles? Or are you blameless? And are you a prize to those leaders? He's saying, for yourself, have no handles. He's saying, for the leaders, be a prize. And how about for the crooked and perverse generation he's talking about? Here's where the word crooked in that language comes from. It's where we get the word scoliosis. Scolos. It's where the, the back, right, has a curvature. If you've known somebody that has scoliosis, their spine is not straight and upright. They cannot do this. He's talking spiritually. He's saying there's a generation of crooked and of perversion that doesn't know innocence and purity. He's saying stop complaining for their sake so that when your character is blameless and pure and you're in the family of God, when you're shining bright, they see you shining in the midst of darkness and they become attracted to that. He says, so don't have spiritual scoliosis. Be upright. So that they will have hope. Because you know that when you came into the game, when God saved you and you began being sanctified, that your life has been on display. And he's making sure, he's saying, take the handles down. People are watching you. It's not just pastors they're watching and pastors that are failing that we can complain and go, oh, I'm glad I complained about him. He did fall. Oh, she was a wreck. No, it's, this is not reality TV where we take delight in people's failings. We lift one another up. And we lift each other up so much that when we are transformed people, we understand that we stop the complaining, we stop the moaning. Ultimately, we think we're complaining about people. We're complaining to God about His people and the, and the people He's put in His family. You don't like who's in here? You have to deal with God. You don't want to show up to a home community? It's a rhythm of God to travel with people and to develop in community. It's not because the pastors thought this was a really great idea. We're not prescribing and holding out firmly our words we're holding out the Word of God according to the Scripture, which is the Gospel, which is the power to save you over and over again. We saw that last week. Not saved once, but continuously being saved. And those, why stop complaining? Stop complaining so that others can clearly see through whatever cloud you're complaining would do so they can see that your life has been transformed. So those who are wicked and perverse can go, that is a true story. Not to argue with. Not to have complain about. You can say all you want about Christ and all of these other things, but I am seeing something that is real in that person's life. So 
last week we saw we need to allow that process to happen. We need to receive the power of God in our life so that he can continually be, it was, the word was energio, energy, dynamos, the dynamic of God to change your life. We stop complaining because it's in contradiction of the beauty that we've received by grace. Not one person has earned that. Why do we stop complaining? Because we don't want to disrupt the story that God has in our lives. Because we want people to see that we truly are being changed. And when we shut our mouths a little bit more and do not go by the mantra, I have opinion, therefore I will share, no matter how negative or ungodly or impure or lack of innocence it contains, God is hushing us. Do you, do you feel that? God in his kindness is hushing us. He's squelching that. Don't even get started, he's writing to them. Stop the bitching and the moaning. I traveled for years and years and years with a guy in a home community, and that's, that's what he would say almost every time. And we all thought, gosh, you say that a lot. I mean, I've got it down to, I can imitate him. I hear his voice. It's a good voice. It's a good word. Stop the moaning. Crush the house of murmur. The murmurs do not produce light. Verse 14. Or I'm sorry, 15. He says this. Let's just smoothly go from 14 to 15. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as the lights in the world. The word children there means born ones. He's bringing them back to the idea that you were born again, that you're a new creation. He's bringing them back to the most amazing thing and event that's ever happened in their life is that you were born again. Some of you are considering that going, what does that mean? That's some really cheesy Christian language. I've heard nothing but terrible things and I saw a movie called Saved. I've seen Jesus Camp. I'm not comfortable with that. And what's happening here is he's saying, let's just get our, our memory back. Let's figure out exactly what's happened the Deliverer has delivered you. And He's saying, you were born into a family. You are the born ones. You are the one that is a new creation. You've come into a whole new paradigm. He's saying the veils of deception have fallen. Focus is now coming in as you mature, as you move forward. He's saying this is a growth pattern. You're past the complaining. You're past the grumbling. That's not producing light. So when you were formed in darkness and God took you from darkness, like Ecclesiastes says, you were formed in darkness, but you were made for the light. And so he's saying, get over that. Come back, you born ones. The ones who, who were in their cocoons and in their shells and through the pain and through the suffering, God has brought you through. And you're brand new. You are brand new. Get back to understanding that. And being saved and saved again is like having that baby skin again spiritually. 
And that spiritual scoliosis is when we get back to God, when we repent of our sins, when we repent of breaking somebody down, uh, emotional and verbal murdering, when we come back to God and we say, we're done complaining, I'm truly sorry, God. God goes, brand new, regenerated on the inside. Not just some legalism. Well, I'm going to behave differently. I'm going to try real hard to get in touch with the power of God. No, when we allow that to happen, God will change you. It is not something that we put the, you know, fake the funk. No fake smiles. No cover up on the whole thing. He's saying, if you're a complainer, come out of the closet. Come on out of the house of murmurs and become part of the house of light. You who were born anew. You who are like the day somebody's announcing a baby's been born. I'll never forget the day that my oldest daughter was born. It put me literally on my rear. It changed the whole scope of life. It was like a blanket that came out over all of time and rocked my total world and put me up against the wall. I was 19 years old. And every time another child was born, it was this humbling celebration that one was born anew. God is saying, remember that day? He's saying, how could you be complaining when you've been the born ones? You have what that crooked and dark generation's waiting for, but you're arguing among yourselves? How will they ever see you as stars in the night? How will they ever be guided to the beacon of light, the beacon that the cross is through all of history? That's what shaped all of history. My child being born rocked my world. Jesus dying and being rose again on the third day rocked all of everyone's world. He's saying, you were born new. Remember that. Cherish that. You are in the family of God. This is very hard, and we go over this a lot. I think, I don't know if it's because it makes preachers um, uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you something. Who you travel with spiritually is supposed to mean more to you than your family that you came from. I know it's a crazy notion. You're supposed to treat each other like brothers and sisters, and this is to be the family. Oh, well, no, I don't have a lot of time, or I'm in school. I came here to be in school. No. Sorry if you feel tricked. Students, God brought you to a piece of His family. You're to sink in and find this to be your family. Complaining is not just verbal. Complaining or grumbling can be a lack of participation. We're called to be together because you were born anew. You're the born ones. I want uh, somebody, anybody to read Daniel 12.3. You want to go to Daniel 12.3. Let's also go to Matthew 
You are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's talking about the missional reflection of of Jesus being our light. He's saying, now you are the light of the world. It's that missional reverb. Do you see in this Scripture, uh, the mission of Red Sea is there. He's talking about at the very end. Let's look at uh, verse 16. He says this in verse 16. He says, holding fast to the Word of life so that in the day of Christ, in the day of Christ, when Jesus comes, so we say draw to Christ. Sometimes it's a long view of drawing to Christ. Sometimes we think right in the moment, but He's given a scope of when you're going to draw to Christ personally, when we'll meet Him in the sky. It's called rapture. The day that God says, it's over with. All the the complaining, the brokenness, the sin, the destruction, done. When He comes to, to get His saints... We draw to Christ. We develop in community say, we're going to stop complaining. These are the reasons why. For the world, for ourselves, for each other, for our own witness. And he says, and we'll transfer over to be the house of light. And we'll shine. And our light will shine before men and women. And we'll be a testimony of purity and innocence among a crooked and, and twisted generation. That's developing in community and deploying to culture. What are you taking to culture? Let me ask you that. I think a lot of times we go, well, I take a, you know, I fit right into culture. Okay. Does anybody around you know that you were born anew? Are you excited about being born anew? Are you excited about your place in God's family? And what are you holding out? Do you know the Gospel? Do you know that God has saved you? Do you read your Scriptures? Are you in touch with God saving you every day? Last week we had a real tough spot where he said, I said, spiritual maturity is knowing where you're at. Knowing what your sin is at a given moment. To go, top five sins I'm committing recently. Boom, boom, boom. Against these people. Boom, boom, boom. Let's just try the complaining one out. What are your top complaints? It's not a question of, are you a complainer? Oh dear, I wonder if I'm speaking to two or three people this morning. No, I'm speaking in the mirror. When I'm reading the Scripture, I'm like, complainer guy. Diminishing the light. Not being 100% satisfied in Jesus because I'm complaining about something on this planet. For this very short time that he's asking me to shine and to bring his story. And furthermore, we're complaining about the way people do church. We're all so opinionated. Oh, I don't like it that way. You know, use a few key words so it'll just get me in here. I've theorized so much about this. And if you're not going to do that this way, and I can't see that. We got all these opinions. We're barfing on each other. Have you been in a barf session lately where you're like, it smells because you're just getting complaint upon complaint. And you're like, this is not delectable. 
Or are you the person that puts a mask on and is like, I kind of like it. Are you the person that everybody goes to to complain to? you got a problem here. You're in opposition to the, to the world seeing the light. You're a person that says, it's okay, complain to me because it makes me feel special. I like to do negative things because I'm very useful to you at that time. No. No more complaining. It's disrupting the amount of light that springs from here. From us. Remember Philippians? He's not saying you. He's saying y'all. Hey y'all, let's get our light on. Hey y'all, no more murmuring. You hear murmurs, you got to go and go, stop the complaining. It's not productive. There's no way you're a part of a house of light if you're a house of murmurs. He's very clear with them. Holding fast. I want you to think about that. What are you bringing to the dark world? What are you taking? Do you have a dark spot in your mission? Is there a place that you go, I know God's moving me at some point and I'm going to be a torch-bearing, steady-handed, holding out the gospel of life to this person in their darkness or this community in the darkness, in this city in the darkness? Where is that place for you? Years ago, God told me where that would be. Right here, St. John's. I was thinking this morning about 12 years ago, what St. John's looked like 12 years ago when I moved here. A lot different than it is now. And there was not a gospel-bearing church. There was not a church where every week you could count on them going. Aromatic fragrant to God, His story, unadulterated, pure. This is what is happening here. Don't discount it. Don't go, oh, well, they don't have resources. They're not in the right area. No, we have the recipe. It's right here. Every single week, gospel-centered messages from whoever fills this pulpit, whoever is up on that stage leading any music, they got it. In the home communities, the leaders that are there, they're teaching us how to go. When you go to your workplaces and everywhere, it's not like, well, I come from a really poor church and we're in St. John's. Have you ever heard of St. John's? No, I've never been to St. John's. Really, how long have you lived in Portland? All my life. Okay. We get that a lot. You know what's out in St. John's? The goods. The tasty things. You know what St. John's is? When I went to New York City a couple years ago and a, couple, a year before that, I would go, okay, so I'm going to Spanish Harlem. What, what do I got to hit? What place do I got to hit? You got to go to this place that fries the bananas this way. It's a bunch of Cubans and Caribbeans, and you got to get in that place. And you're like, where is that place? Right on my hand. Tell me how to get there. Boom. Okay, I want some good Middle Eastern food. Okay, you're going to take this train over to Brooklyn. You're going to end up in the neighborhood Bed-Stuy. And in Bed-Stuy, there's a bunch of Muslims, man. And you got to go over, and it's two blocks of, uh, left of that mosque. So when you see the mosque, you'll know you'll turn two blocks, and, and then you'll end up in this joint, man. It's killer. And you know what? That should be here. You know what? 
okay, I know that there's these other churches, they're regional churches, they're really great churches, there's, but you've got to go out to St. John's. You've got to go hear the gospel. You've got to go get some of that. And those people, I hear that they're just living it and permeating and saturating their neighborhood. I hear it's just, they're really affecting the neighborhood. That's what Dre is doing. Practically speaking, it's trash to treasure. You want to show up and be a beacon? You, I was in the coffee shop the other day, and somebody said, hey, you guys are doing trash to treasure again. That's so cool. And blah, blah, blah. Hey, you know, last time, I didn't even know I could take all that stuff. I really wanted to take this stool and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, take it. Take it. Bring your stuff. Let's swap it out. Let's speak the language of our people, but it's got to be, here you go. In St. John's, uh, many of us know, there's a grocery store over here by Thai Cottage. In between Proper Eats and Thai Cottage, right? There's the Mexican grocery store. And everybody knows that's where you go for cheap good Mexican food. you got to go through the grocery store, and in the back, they got cafeteria tables. It's awesome. That's the place that you go. Is your family the place that you go? Is Red Sea the place that you say, you got to come check it out? you got to be a part of that. Are the people that are running from this, from, from at the Shamrock Run from Red Sea, are they thinking, I love running, and I'm missing my family today. Or I wish some of them would have come out and, and cheered for me. Or are we stoked that we have a bunch of leaders at the beach this morning that are, that are getting filled up, that are learning how to more strongly hold firm to this? And you know what they're going to have to learn how to do? Tell people to, shh, no more complaining. Are we excited that they're, they're being built up in that way? Are we going to be this family that you go, oh, you got to come have the gospel cooked up that way. Because it's here. It doesn't matter. It's so beautiful that St. John's is not known. It's not like the place you go for this, this, and this. Unfortunately, we know that it's a crooked and perverse generation. It is a place that you go to get good heroin on pheasant. It's a place that you go, and there's plenty of meth. It's a place you go where the, the police and the city, they don't care that much about it. So you can be homeless not only in Old Town, but you can go on up to St. John's if you just want to be able to just be homeless. We're, lo- we're known for, and we're one neighborhood over from the basketball champions, uh, Jefferson, three years in a row. We're, we're not that neighborhood. We're not even cool in how we are poor. And God says, who cares? What you bring in? What you bring in? Okay, I want to be an obedient child of God. I want my murmuring to be squashed. I want my salvation to be aromatic. I want to shine in the darkness of the world. Like Daniel says, who has that Daniel piece? Anybody look up that Daniel piece? We've got to learn to participate. No, I'm just kidding. All right, right here.
Will we seek to be those people that Daniel talks about that are wise, that shine the gospel? Like the stars you can navigate. So when we're out in culture, will people be able to go, oh, that's a believer there. I can navigate this way with them and I can navigate this way. And that's a shining star there. I'm going to follow them. I see pure and innocence there. And, and pretty soon that they, they're moving around in the darkness and seeing enough shining, bright, innocent, pure people that are holding out the right stuff and they're going, that's a signpost. I keep running into it. That's a signpost of the kingdom. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I don't care if it's a dark hill, but when they show up and start, their lights start shining, I can see myself being a part of that. I can see God showing up. A city within a city. That's what God's asking us to be a part of. And you know, in the end, we go like this. I'm not sure I can be an obedient child. I want to see the Messiah. I understand some of these messages. But I'm stuck in my murmuring and in my lifestyle of pain. Every week we get to this point. We can't do what he's talking about. We're no different than the Israelites who were getting food every single day. This is a disposition that we've inherited from the fall. This is why we have faith in Christ. The deal is, is serve the One who did not murmur, who did not grumble. In fact, He was forgiving on the cross. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He stood strong. He held out life and He went down and buried our sins and our murmurs and our grumbling and came back victorious holding the same message because it is the man of God, Jesus, is the message. He lived it and He is on that mission. The man, the message, and the mission. What is your manhood or womanhood signifying and holding and what message is synonymous with your life and is and believe it or not that is the mission that you are on okay one last scripture and then we'll pray and then i'm going to lead you into some stuff here let's go to john 6 35 or at least write it down So think about the grumbling of the Israelites, the grumbling of the Philippians, our grumblings. It says this in John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do the will, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We'll stop right there. 
Right now, uh, as we take communion, as we say, yes, Jesus, you are the bread of life, that your body was broken for our sins, for our complaining, for our divisions, for our lack of unity, you have died to unify us. And you are the light of the world, as we read earlier. And we see that Jesus is the power for us to be a uniting beacon of light. That we live in response to the cross of Jesus. We live in a life of worship. And, and we're, God's got to do this work for us to shine. This isn't a shame message. This is a hope message to say, we're going to see Him in all of His shining glory. And we will live that way. But that is a foretaste of the things to come. And will we be the taste and see that God is good? Will people run into our lives and go, I can taste and see that God is good in that person's life. They're holding out and I'm perverted in this way or I'm crooked or broken, but yet they remain upright. No, they're not perfect, but they are born anew. I see a new person and a new creation in this way. And so this morning, as we take communion, as we repent of our complaining, as we repent of our houses of murmur, as we see that it's time to stop complaining, we understand why we would stop complaining. Is it's, it's distorting the picture. It's distorting the story of God. We're getting in the way of what God is saying through our lives to others. And so what we're going to do is, I have these candles, this very simple exercise but it's a prayerful exercise. I have white candles here that you'll need to lift up the, the wick. And you can come down here and you can light it off of this candle. These white candles, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to place them where you work, where you live most of your day. If you want to take an extra one for a friend who you're praying that would live in this way, that would join you in following Jesus and the adventure of what that means, so you light one and say a prayer for them and, and place it maybe where they live or where they work. And then these red ones, I want them to at your house. And so I want you to light one of these red ones up and put it where your house is and pray over your home. Pray that your house would be a refuge for people, that it would be a place that is attractive. Okay? And so as we're singing, some of us will be singing, we'll be lighting candles. You might want to watch other people's stuff. You can just stand here and pray over our city. So what I've done here is I've made, put these sheets out and I just put Gresham, downtown, southeast, northeast, uh, southern suburbs, Lake Oswego, Westland, all of these places. So you'll be able to figure out where you're at. The peninsula is a cute little yarn uh, peninsula over here. And I imagine there will be a lot of candles over there. But uh, our prayer is that the good recipe that's found in the little church called Red Sea out on that peninsula will drop acorns. If this is an oak of righteousness, that those acorns will drop all over the city and that new life will happen and new roots. So come worship this way. Um, there's also, I've put things to write on in the back corners. There's like crayons. You can write praises to God on the side walls. You can write prayers. There's also a communion table in the back. So if it gets too crowded up here, there's a communion table back there as well. And uh, will you pray with me? Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you for exactly who we are this morning and the, the community that we are with the people that are here. We pray for the many that are not with us this morning. 
And uh, Lord, I'm not talking about the people running or the leaders away or the people who got caught by the time. I'm talking about our friends that are in darkness. And Lord, I pray that we would have a heart and our, same, our ambition would be um, the same as Jesus's to not only speak a message, but to live a message before the darkness and to invite others into walking in a way that a new city would arise. There is a new community here in St. John's, Lord. There are new communities all over the place, and we're thankful for the other expressions of the Gospel in this city, Lord. We know that we're not the only ones holding the good stuff, but Lord, we feel Your grace and are very grateful that You've brought life to us, that we are the ones born anew. And so God, we repent as a community of complainers. As that one writer said, standing at the complaint counter for many years, it's time to give those up. It's time for us to allow Your power to work and to move us from a house of murmurs to a house of light. Lord, You are asking the delivered to deliver. You're asking us to be deliverers ourselves. And so help us to deliver the good stuff with that picture of a stable hand holding out the purest and the best wine to our neighbor. The best coffee. The best help on a Saturday work day. The best. Will we hold that out and offer that to our city, to our mayor, to our leaders, to our schools. We love You so much, Lord. And we just thank You for what You've given us. And it's all possible through Jesus. We cannot continue like this. We do not want to stop complaining. We, it feels too good. We do not want to stop dividing. We like to make ourselves more superior through words. We don't respect our leaders, Lord. We don't respect each other. And ultimately, we're not respecting You because we're squashing the ability to have more and more light shine brightly through us. So Lord, we will repent this morning and we pray that You will do something with that and that, uh, in fact, we know, Holy Spirit, You will. We love You so very much. When we come to the communion table, Lord, we know we bring nothing. But You have put in our hand Your Son and His broken body. We'll dip that into the wine or juice that symbolizes the forgiveness we receive when we do repent. Lord, I just ask that You would move on the hearts of those who have never partaken of the life that You have held out at the cross of Calvary for us. As though Your hand extended and delivered us the sacrificial lamb of Your Son. And so Lord, let us not look cheaply upon that. Let us live in a way that is worthy of the Gospel. We thank You, God. Accept these songs as fragrant. Our and all that we give right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.